Aloysius is sitting in his study. There are pebbles on the glass. I think it's Azold looking for Simon again. Hey, Maniacs. It's Midsummer Maniacs. It is indeed Midsummer Maniacs. Were you going to argue with me about that? Were you going to say that it wasn't? No, but it's not some other podcast. No, it's not. No. (laughs) We are actually going to talk about Midsummer Murders. It's not last Midsummer on the left, right? No, no. It's not last of the Midsummer Wine or anything like that. Nope. Those are very different shows, by the way. (laughs) Well, Midsummer Maniacs is a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series, Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, oh boy, and everything else we love. We have a bit of a minefield with this episode that I'm just going to say off the top we need to be careful about. Okay. Because, yes, loonies, because they're loonies, and not because they have an alternative religion or anything like that. No, no, no. It's a pothole I'm going to keep my foot out of as as much as I can because it's too easy to generalize. Isolde is annoying. I don't care if she was a Buddhist or whatever. I'd still want to throttle her. Yeah. Mumbo jumbo. <laughs> Just getting that out there, okay? <laughs> Another warning off the top. Uh, if your kids are too so, too young for the show, then they're too young to listen to this podcast. The other thing that this episode does successfully is take the sexy, sexy topic of cults and witches and Halloween. And ruin it. And takes all of the sexy sex out of it. Yes, absolutely. I really don't need John Bar- Tom Barnaby to ever say the word orgies ever again. Ever. Never. 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 It's worse than Barnaby and Joyce watching the porn. <sighs> We, we have, it's my fault. I brought it up. We haven't even said, we're talking about the magician's nephew this week. It's season yes. 11, episode eight. And this is episode 64 of the Maniacs. Yes. Off the top, before we get into that, thank you so much to everybody who's bought some merch. We're about a third of the way to our goal of $500 Already by it, Christmas. In just a week, we're a third of the way there. It's incredible. Yep. Thank you so much. We there, hope that you like it. There are people with Stocko Fox t-shirts. <laughs> I know. That's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. And uh, we're going to definitely hit our goal and even more, I think. Hopefully. Yep. Yeah. And Direct Relief will get a big Christmas present from all of us. Yes. Well, meaning For- all of you. What Though we're going to buy a bunch of merchandise because we love our own stuff. How could we not have our own t-shirt? Yeah. yeah so. But we may have to sign that check from the Maniacs. The Maniacs. <laughs> Around the world. Memo maniacs. (laughs) Uh, The other thing is, apparently, we're the worst people in the world. Mm? Did you know that? No. We got two nasty letters this week. Whoa. About how we pronounce the name of a town. Were they nasty or were they just correcting us because we did it wrong? I don't want to be this person, but... Well, they're right. (laughs) Um, Actually... I would rather have somebody tell me I'm saying it wrong than cringe every time I open my mouth. It's not like I say Lunden. Here's here's the thing. Apparently, if you're talking about the river, meaning there's an S on the end, it's Thames. Thames. Without the S, it's tame. Yes. Even though there's an H. Yes. So I didn't know that. I thought it was all just Tem. No. Because of the river. We Thames. have no idea. It must be some Middle English thing that when you put an S on it, you change the vowel sound, which I should know, but I don't. But this week we have another town 
that is upon Thames. And I'm assuming it's pronounced upon Thames. It's something upon Thames. I is there forget. an S on it? Yes. Okay, so then. it's Thames. But we're in Midsummer Worthy. Well, no, the where the actual butcher shop is. Oh, okay. yes. In real life. Yes. Not in Midsummer. Yes. Gotcha. Well, if I, if we've got that pronunciation real wrong, let us know. I, I don't think it's nasty to tell us. Sarah. <sighs> yeah. I have an H. What of it? <laughs> this episode... Uh, was filmed in November and December 2007, broadcast the 27th of July 2008, making it the perfect Halloween episode. 7.01 million views, directed by Richard Holthouse and written by Michael Russell. And it is a Halloween episode. Yes, it is. Did it air at Halloween? No, it aired in the middle of July. Of course. <laughs> Because you just said that, but I wasn't listening, apparently. Because that's when you air your Halloween episodes, you know, to get everybody in the mood a few months in advance. It's okay. You listen to me a lot of the time when I'm spewing weird, you know what? strange stuff. So. I would watch a Midsummer Halloween episode 12 months of the year. There's no time so that's not right for Midsummer Halloween. And right away, this episode has me. It's got dudes, cult, culty dudes and robes and demons. Right away, I'm like, I'm in. So far. <laughs> So the magician's nephew centers around the basic summary of the plot is that we've got a group of cultists that run a group called the Temple of Thoth. Thoth. And uh, they have their little chanty thing in the woods. And then there's this Aloysius Wilmington guy who is the expert and probably made up most of that stuff way back when, but has since realized that it's not real and has tried to debunk it and thus pissed off the cultists. So we're assuming Aloysius didn't make his money. It's family money. I hope so, because if if he was working some black magic back in the 70s and managed to get that much money as a result, he can't say that it didn't work. But he, he talks <laughs> like, about all those books being there. Well, one of those books has been there, I guess, since the beginning of English Bibles, at the very least. Yeah, so, so I think we can assume that either he purchased the house with the library intact or yes. they're old family books and he's just never had a chance to catalog them all. Yep. And that his family had similar interests going way back. So also we need to mention that The Magician's Nephew is the sixth book of the Chronicles of Narnia. Yep. It's a C.S. Lewis, right? It's a weird book, too. It goes, it's kind of halfway uh, two stories. There's a bumper story around what happens. And uh, then it really tells the story of the beginning of Narnia. It's, but it has no relation to the story of this episode at all. The only, other than the fact that Aloysius is a magician and Simon is his nephew. The only thing I could even get close to it, the only thing I could get close to it, is that the character Digby, I think that's his name, in Magician's Nephew, who is the nephew, has uh, a similar uh, relationship of losing his mother early on that C.S. Lewis had. Mm, so, okay, that's kind of a reach. It's kind of a reach. There's a thing with the mother. I think it's more like there's a magician and he has a nephew. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. You don't have to reach too far, right? So we get this. At, we start out with all the, the middle-aged people from the Ooh. village having their creepy ceremony. How do you keep this secret? You don't. Yeah. There's no way it's a secret. Yeah, there's, there's no way it's a secret. And this is, of, of course, yet again, another thing that gets referenced in Hot Fuzz, right? Yes. Hot Fuzz is related to it's this It's making episode. fun of this right here. Yeah. Yeah. This group of middle-aged people who take themselves really seriously and go out in the woods and have these ceremonies, um, complete with the robes that mostly cover their face and all of that stuff. Yep. They, uh, they cite four demons. Yes. Right? Asgaroth, 
Who's the, Earth? The metal band from uh, where are they from? Denmark? Denmark or Sweden? I can't Sweden. remember. They're they're really actually pretty good. I listened to some of their music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Asgaroth is not real. No, other than the name for a metal band, it's Astaroth. Yes, is the is that there's actually a demon named Astaroth. Um, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Asgaroth is a Spanish black metal band. Oh, it's Spanish. That's they're from right. Barcelona. Yeah. Barcelona. Yeah. yeah. If you like long hair, head bangy, black ripped jeans music, check out Asgaroth. Yeah. I watched one of their videos on YouTube. It's okay. Yeah. I can tap my foot to it. Like I said. Yeah. So, uh, it's actually, it should be Astaroth, but they, I understand they made these up for the same reason I'm saying I don't want to put my foot in that hole because they're not trying to offend anybody or be realistic with any of this. No. Right? No, no. So they sound like demon names, but they're not. No. Um, and then there's Kelmaret, who is air, Bellus is water, and Tame. <laughs> see? We're scared now to, you, to say the but word. But see, I don't know. It's T-H-A-M-E, according to the subtitles, yes. who is the demon of fire. Yes, I'd say tame. But I don't think that village in England is named after the demon of fire. No, I don't think so. I think so. the writers are messing with us. Like, they knew that we wouldn't pronounce it right. It wouldn't be the first time. They're also symbolized by a knife, an arrow, an axe, and a sword. And it's the typical, like, Masonic kind of ceremony where you're blindfolded and they press sharp objects up against you and they say, if you ever break the secret, you know, we'll stabby cut you, whatever. Um, And they're indoctrinating Christine into the Tiffthaw. Christine says she's doing it just to understand the ritual. Right. Because she is the caretaker for Rosemary Balliol, who is Ernest's ex-wife and who clearly is under a lot of mental distress. She's not okay. And she cites the temple as being part of what's caused her to be so troubled. She's afraid of demons and stuff. And so Christine, because she cares about her, wants to understand what it is that happened to her that kind of pushed her over the edge. So she decides to join the temple. Is Christine the nicest character in Midsummer ever? She is very kind. She's super kind. But she has bad judge of character. Yes. Because she does love Tristan. Yes. Though he doesn't love her back because he's a murderer. Yes. Spoiler. (laughs) Though I'm going to say right now, because we will have very little else to say about Christine. She's played by um, Sean. I think it's Sean. S-I-A-N. I'm going to say Sean. Brooke. The most notable thing in her filmography is a movie called The Scampi Trail. This is a rabbit hole we both went down today. It is a James Bond homage movie. Yes. Made on a very tiny budget, released yes. straight to the internet. Yes. In what, 2003? 13. 13. Sorry. On a camcorder. Filmed on a camcorder. Um, and it's called The Scampi Trail. And uh, if you're like me, and once you hear a song, it's forever stuck in your brain, go ahead and watch the official opening credits, the title credits on YouTube. I'll, I'll put them in the show notes. And welcome to the earworm that I am now stuck with. This is the weirdest thing ever. Just the title credits are strange. It yep. mentions a glittery thong. I found... <laughs> Remin- it's definitely a parody. <laughs> I found remnants of a website in 2013 <laughs> that has the strangest stuff on it's it. It's very weird. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, she's in that movie. Um, the she guys plays who, some character named like Tess LaCour or something. <laughs> the, the, the guys who made that movie have made a new uh, short film since then that looks more put together and stuff like that mm, called The Shut-In. I think it's called The Shut-In or something uh, about a bunch, uh, two drunk guys who are go to the pub during a zombie attack. It's not exactly original. No, not not original. <laughs> One of them's in a white shirt on the front of the cover. <laughs> Does like, he have red on? 
how can you do a parody of a parody? Yeah, really. Because by far, okay, we're talking about Shaun of the Dead. By far the greatest parody of a horror movie. Oh, of yeah. Of horror movies ever. Yeah, I it's agree. It's better than Scary Movie and all those stupid yeah. movies. Shaun of the Dead is not only funny, but it is also scary on top of it. Mm-hmm. And incredibly aware of the genre. Yes. Yes. Much like Hot Fuzz is aware of this, this genre. genre. Yeah. So Ernest and Estelle Balliol, so Ernest's second wife, Estelle. Yes. Who, like, did she know what she was getting into when Whoa. she married him? I don't know. That she's going to be his old stepmom? Oh. I mean, Tristan's all right. Get off the ground. He's a killer and stuff. But before that, he's a lawyer and he's a stand-up guy. He's a normal guy. Tristan's accomplished at the very least. Yes. Yes, he's done some things. Yes. Including getting some criminal uh, light sentence for whatever he did. Oh, we'll get there. In magistrate's court. (laughs) But like, I feel bad for Estelle. Like, okay. So even if you're really into this temple thing, did you want Isolde as your stepdaughter who is like in her 30s and still lives with you? (laughs) And every time he, she defends Ernest, it's like totally half-hearted. Like, oh, he's trying. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, okay so so then insert poison frogs next random clips of poison frogs just willy-nilly so a frog ernest is watching a television program like an 11 year old boy (laughs) first of all he's talking back to the screen okay i'm here to say screens can't hear you he's watched this interview many times I think we're supposed to be under the impression that the whole Mumbo Jumbo and Me book, such a great title for yes. Aloysius's book, yes. is a recent release. That is the worst name of a book ever. It's so dumb. Yeah. Um, unless he was like known worldwide as this satanic temple leader, who cares what he thinks? Yeah. Totally. I don't get the sense that he's like super well known or anything. Anyhow. Luckily, he ties it into Nazis right away. Right away. <laughs> I do like, um, so Ernest confronts Aloysius about the book um, that he's written, Mumbo Jumbo and Me, uh, saying that he made everything up. So this thing that Ernest finds so it, that he holds so close to his heart that he truly believes in, Aloysius is saying, I just made that up. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's Scientology all he over the place, he right? Got, he got drunk and he made it up. It's Which is what L. Ron Hubbard said about yep. Scientology, too. I yep. made it up and then people got into it. So I thought, why not cash in on it, right? Again, we're not stepping in any holes intentionally here oh i'll step into that hole scientology's crazy okay (laughs) and abusive and awful yes i'm i realize that take me on if you disagree i don't disagree with that pothole that's when i'll stomp in with both feet okay but i think it's a reference to yeah you know i kind of made this up it was what i was into at the time but now these people are taking it really seriously yes so Ernest takes it really seriously i love when he takes aloysius's car door off and then later when he sees tristan he's like you probably ought to know that i Took Aloysius's car door off with my car. Yeah. <laughs> and poor Tristan's like, Dad. Why? Ah. Why? Okay. <laughs> we will come back to this again and again. Why does Tristan not kill his father first? Because <laughs> if my father came and said what he says in the, sto- in the restaurant to yeah. me, I'd be like, what? Maybe he doesn't because... Tom and Jones are sitting right there and he doesn't want to be so obvious. If he just picked up a fork and stabbed him, I think he'd get caught, you know? So so mumbo jumbo and me, do you know where mumbo jumbo comes from? Uh, isn't it, uh, I think it's French or Spanish? No. Where is it from? 
Um, okay, so it's actually an anglicized version of Mama Jambu. Oh. Okay, Mama Jambu, um, which is a word from the Mandinka tribe of people from West Africa. They're where Ghana is now. Yes. So back in colonial times when white people were doing terrible things all over the place, several British, mostly British sociologists, ethnographers, that kind of people, went to Africa and wrote down all these narratives of the tribes that they met and their weird customs. And- well, and the Mandinka tribes are they're they're one of those peculiarly physical differences to Europeans. Yes. Attracted people to them. They're very tall and thin. Yes. And so back then when we had no cultural sensitivity and yes. we thought everything that we didn't do was weird and bad. Yes. They wrote a bunch of stuff down, including a narrative about this ceremony called with a character um, from the Mandinka tribe called the Mamo Jambu. Okay. Who was, um, he was kind of like a, a village elder. Okay. But he wore this costume that made him look about twice as tall as he really was. So a so, great big head on a thing that he would wear on his shoulders with like a, a cape that covered the rest of his body. So he must have been huge. Huge. Okay. Yeah. And the whole pur- purpose of the Mama Jambu was to settle disputes between husbands and wives. Oh, and at this point in time, the Mandinka tribe um, practiced polygamy. So a man would have many wives. Mm-hmm. And so there were lots of disputes. Yeah. Because, you know, having more than one wife is not going to cause any problems, right? Nobody's going to get upset with anybody in that situation. Yeah. So the, I'm going to keep trying to say it, the Mama Jambu yes. role, he would stand outside their home and he would listen to their arguments and he would always side with the man. Oh. Always. Always. Well, that's a bunch of mambo jumbo right yeah, there. Yeah, really. <laughs> And then he had power to punish the wife for causing problems, including whippings. Wow. Why a wife would ever pick a fight that would require this guy to come and settle it, knowing that he's always going to side with your husband. And be the threat. I'm going to go get the mumbo jumbo, man. Right. Which is exactly why they did it. Yeah. Right. Or at least that's how the white Europeans who went there and studied it interpreted it as this was the way for the men to subjugate their wives. They threatened them with the mumbo jumbo man. Okay. And then mumbo jumbo, of course, because, you know, we weren't respectful of other people's cultures, becomes anything you don't understand. Yes. Or that sounds nonsensical. So that's where mumbo jumbo comes from. Pretend supernatural usually. Yes. But, but it's definitely derogatory. Oh, 100%. Right. So Aloysius's book, Mumbo Jumbo and Me, is definitely him saying, all this stuff I made up about this Temple of Thoth, yeah, it's a bunch of bull. Do you not think uh, Simon would have seen through Isolde earlier? I think he saw through her from the very beginning. (laughs) He just tolerates her because he gets the kissy kissy? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, maybe he's coming down off of his bad cocaine habit and doesn't really judge people right. I didn't realize this the first time through, uh, well, the several times I've seen this episode, like two dozen times. Aloysius says he misses Lucy here, who is Simon's mom. And his sister. Yes. And we don't know why. Her grave is right outside the church that is on the grounds of his estate. Yes. Where he goes to church apparently several times a day. Okay. I want to talk about this because he has the minister on call. Mm-hmm. and a flock on call. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to church. <laughs> Everybody arrives. Well, I think he goes... What? I think they have morning song and evening song. What day of the week is this? I tried to figure out... I think out. it happens every day at that church. Oh, wow. I, cu- I could not figure out what day of the week this was. They're Anglican, right? Yeah, but Anglicans don't do church every day. They don't have 
morning song and evening no. song? That you go to church on Sunday and you shut up about it the rest of the week. <laughs> well, Aloysius has I got some to stuff the, to make up for, I think. So. I got to the United States and people said, oh, we go to church on Wednesday night. I'm like, Wednesday night? <laughs> you don't even talk about church on Wednesday night. <laughs> I think Aloysius is trying to make up for things he did earlier in his life. Tom has a problem. <laughs> He has a problem in that Joyce has fabricated him wanting to have a Halloween party a year before. <laughs> no, no, no. He probably had a couple of scotches, mentioned it kind of haphazardly, and she's been planning it ever since. He has a bigger problem than that. What's that? And even bigger than the lack of cereal that he has. Mm-hmm. He's out of cornflakes. He's looking at an entire cupboard full of sweets with jack-o'-lanterns on them, and he's like, What's this? Did Tom get dropped on his head? No, I think he just surprised there's so much because he's forgotten that he mentioned that maybe they should have a party for the kids in the neighborhood. I don't know. I think he had a head injury. A year ago. And since then, Joyce has run off to the WI and convinced all of the other ladies in Costin to have parties and not do trick-or-treating because teenagers are bad. The, there is a myth. Okay. In the town I grew up, yes, on Halloween, they may have overturned cars and blew stuff up, okay? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to say there's a myth that there is all this mischief that happens on Halloween. Yeah. (laughs) And apparently Tom was upset about it the year before. Yeah. He had to open his great big mouth. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And now the people who have no young children are hosting a party for all the young children. Okay. Yep. Kind of weird. But it's an excuse for Kelly to show up and Tom to dress up. So that's okay. So Aloysius, amongst all the other things he does at church and all that stuff, is is a magician. And he has magic shows specifically for kids. Yes. And he calls it the Magic Circle. And it's he and a few other people who volunteer to do it. Very nice people. Well, except for the guy who sells books. His magic show is the highlight of the episode. I would love to go see his magic show. He's so fun. He is. He's got the rabbit that keeps reappearing and he's trying to run it off. Running jokes. He does his tricks really well. Yeah. His tricks come off super good. He He's a good performer. They do a couple of run-throughs beforehand. Yep. You know. And he's got the whole Punch and Judy thing. He's got the whole, oh, no, you won't. Or, oh, yes, we do thing down. Yeah. The he, kids are all into he it. He works it's great. super good. Can you imagine what it was like for Simon growing up in that house? He must have had like a magic show all the time it with him. would have been fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's what led him to cocaine. If only Aloysius hadn't <laughs> slept with his sister. That's what led him to cocaine. Why is that? I don't know. <sighs> Dear Midsummer Writers, why yes. did you do that to Aloysius? Okay. So we love Aloysius. He's funny. He's sarcastic. He's emotional. He's emotional. He cares about Simon, clearly. And cares about the community a lot. All of those things. He's a churchgoer. Mm-hmm. He has church pop-up church whenever he wants it. <laughs> but then he goes and talks about sleeping with his sister and obviously how much he loved her. And I don't really know how that happened. Anyway. <laughs> it's just... It's, just not needed in this episode. There's no... I wish they hadn't done it because he's such a great character It's an example of removing all the sexy fun out of sex. Yeah. The other thing I don't understand about that is that... So Aloysius and his sister Lucy had Simon, right? So there's an incestuous relationship. It's not the first time in Midsummer, but there it is. But then Tristan and Isolde our brother and sister, who are named after a pair of famous lovers. Yes. Well, I will rant about Ernest Balliol in a few minutes. 
He is the worst human being he in this episode. He is rotten. So I have two solutions to this problem of Aloysius. First of all, spelling of his name is just annoying <laughs> to put in my notes. Yes. Okay. So the first thing you could have solved it as is Simon's parents died and you took over as a ward for Simon and raised him as your own. Mm-hmm. And then they have a, like a ward-son relationship and... You know, it's like Batman and Robin. Yeah. Okay. Or he was my sister's son. His dad ran off early. And when she died, I took him in. Or even. That's fine. Even that. Or even if you want to put the sexy sex in. He was my brother's wife. She was my brother's wife. And my brother died. And we became close. And Simon was born. Mm -hmm. That would have been fine. That even gets the sexy sex back into it. (laughs) Oh. Instead, we get the unsexy sex. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> just a waste of sexy sex. <laughs> it's I just think, something like, else for Aloysius to be making up for. I like, think. I think you're supposed to think that Isode is this. Isold? Uh, Isold is like Did you this, call her Isode? <laughs> Isold is this sexy witchy woo woman. And she's just annoying. Yeah, really. But. When the sexiest part of the episode is Jan and her knickers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you got to give one thing to Azold, though. The reason that she is so obsessed is that she wants to help her mom. She does. She does. And that that is okay to the point, but she's not insensical about it. Yeah. It's, it's too far, yeah. right? So she wants the book because she wants to help her mom. Why does Ernest want the book? To sell it. Oh, no. Yeah. Because so, it proves his religion. So he wants to be right about it. Yes. So he wants the book. And Hugo wants it for the money. Hugo wants it for the money. Did Did Simon buy the cocaine from Hugo or he just stole money from Hugo? Stole it, got a loan for it. How did Hugo? Uh, so, you don't loan a cocaine addict money for cocaine no, and think you're going to get paid back. No. And plus Simon got over the cocaine like that. Especially man. to the tune of 13 grand. Yeah. He, That's a lot of money. He had a candy store up his nose and mm-hmm. then he just stopped. So we're at the music, The I'm sorry, the magic show. Yes. And Gene gets in the cabinet, not knowing that Tristan has been there in the night smearing... Um, frog goop. Frog goop on the spikes and wedging them so they don't collapse. Before the magic show, Jan comes out of... Gene. Gene mm-hmm. comes out of the Jeremy Sanders gallery. Yes. Boy, did I look for this place. You studied the high street, didn't you? I did. Everything I about it. I tried to find this place. There's one artist named Jeremy Sanders in all of England, but he uh, is in Cornwall and does pictures of Cornwall. And not the pictures so, in the... I don't, yeah. I don't know why they would have recreated like a gallery for that. Like they, they don't even go in and... Like, it's so weird. So she sees Simon coming out of Hugo's antique bookstore. Yes. Aptly named, since Hugo runs it. And she's on to what they're doing, right? Yes. He's stealing books from Aloysius's library and selling them to Hugo to make up for part of his debt. So she gets in the cabinet. Yes. I love when Aloysius opens the cabinet a little bit, right? Because he's pretending. Yeah. And he looks in and he's like, Anton, close the curtain. <laughs> Anton, who are you talking about? Who's Anton? He's the butcher. Also the devil. Wait a minute. He's the devil in this. When was he introduced? Not to the magic show. No. Also, not in the magazine on the who's who page. No, because he's (laughs) not important. The only thing important about him is that he lies about where he is when Gene's spikes could have been poisoned. If he's so important, why did they go to so much trouble to make his shop? I know. 
You didn't see his assistant. Oh. I got a shot of her. You're going to have to put it in the show notes because she's something else. When Barnaby comes in and confronts him about not being where he says he was, he's like, uh, and they cut to his assistant who's just sitting there going, mm, you're okay. in trouble now. So <laughs> we have two things to talk about before the first death. Of Gene. Okay. So the first thing, we, we might as well deal with him right now. That butcher shop is a real place. Okay. Okay. And it looks exactly it like- It looks like it, a nice butcher shop. It, it looks exactly right like it does there, mm-hmm. except for it doesn't have his name on the ribbon across the front. It has- it's Gabriel Matchin. So uh, they added Butcher's Anton's name. That's all they had to do. They repainted the window. Wow. They must have scraped off his- his name yeah and then put his in because it's not a sticker yeah it's painted right i spent a while on their website (laughs) you're such a nerd sometimes (laughs) but then it's also painted on the van yeah i almost called them up and asked them if they had a van (laughs) hello is this the butcher shop it's just like the same sign. Can I talk to you about the time you were on Midsummer? So it's 77 Marketplace, Henley on Thames. There we go. So if you need, if your butcher shop needs, they've won a whole bunch of wars. They have a cheese day on Thursdays. Ooh. Yes. I wish we had a butcher shop that had a cheese day. They have like all sorts of really cool signs. It looks so. In the show, he walks through a beaded curtain. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. That has a heifer on it. Mm-hmm. That beaded curtain's not there anymore. It's just plastic curtains now. But I, I think there's a code about having one of those plastic strip curtains on a door like that. I'm in, sure. In a butcher shop. I think that's what they're required to yeah, have. I'm sure that beaded curtain was there when they filmed it. <laughs> that. That beaded curtain was just a piece of art, man. Yeah. You don't think they brought that with them as a prop? Okay. Second of all, I want to talk about Simon the Shit Sound Man. Okay. First of all, did you notice that Aloysius has no microphone? Doesn't need to. The kids are five feet away. Okay. And there's also no sound, like no music. No, there isn't. What does Simon do? What does he tell him to do that makes him fiddle with the board? I think he does lights. Ah, so it's a lighting board. No, it's not. Oh, (laughs) it's a soundboard pretending to be a lighting board. Yes, with no plugs plugged into it. (laughs) It's Bluetooth. (laughs) The second best thing about Simon the Shit Sound Man is I was like, why are they talking about Simon when he is two feet away from them? Like Simon could, it was totally cheers. The thing I, cheers, I love that show. I watched that show for years and years and years. I think it's a fantastic comedy show. I loved it. But they had a thing in cheers where they could walk two feet away from somebody and talk about them. And they and wouldn't that hear person it. wouldn't hear yeah. them. And I was like, Simon is right there. <laughs> <laughs> so Gene gets scratched. Yes. By the spikes. She makes some weird sounds when she's in there. She makes no sound. No, she. there's a little bit of a... Wouldn't you go, ow? I would think he would go, ow. I would say, ow. Since the spikes are supposed to retract and they don't. be the first thing I would say. Yes. Okay. So what happens then? And I can only assume this from the show, based on what the show is telling me. On some day of the week, this event happens because... I'm like, it happens at four o'clock mm-hmm. today. 
Mm-hmm. That's what it says on the sign. Today at four o'clock. Why do you make a sign like that? To remind people that it's today. But the sign is inside too. I don't know. <laughs> so people who wander in think, oh, I'm just going to stay then, I guess. I don't know. It's the village hall, right? So Did you notice the lack of parents? They're all in the back. I, I guess. <laughs> You, you got a thing about this magic show. I thought it was great. Whatever, dude. So then it becomes a scene of the crime. Yes. For three days. Yes. Three nights and days. But it also becomes the the new like command center Mm -hmm. for the investigation. Yet they go to the cop shop and back in those three days. What I don't get is why the sockos are outside poking around in the grass. Nothing happened out there. It might be the woman in the box with the knife. Yeah, I think that's where it happened. <laughs> that's probably where it happened. The, the, the whole community center as command center and scene of crime would never happen. Let's go to the scene of the crime. Oh, we're here now. <laughs> Luckily, it's conveniently in the same building as our command center. Not the same building. <laughs> feet behind them <laughs> oh and then you got to feel so bad for Jean's husband Derek because they've been watching their grandchildren because their daughter took off to America for a job okay Derek and now he's on his own with his grandkids and he hasn't even told them yet that grandma's dead okay <laughs> and they were there that's the next day I double checked okay where was grandma all night magic <laughs> Magic. Were they not at the magic show? Grandma's hanging out in Magic Land overnight. Okay, magic. Grandma goes in a box. She disappeared. Disappeared. Magic. There's curtain. Magic. She's not come home yet. Let's play in the backyard. Kids are not that stupid. (laughs) Especially Grandpa's super sad. I guess he wanted to go to Magic Land overnight too, but he didn't get to go. I just felt bad for him. And. So the thing about the magic circle, which is this group of people who put on the magic show, is that it's Aloysius versus the temple people the whole episode. And yet, other than Aloysius, everybody involved in the magic show is in the temple. Yeah. So why do they agree to do that with him? I don't know. Sex. No, there's no sex at the magic circle. I I don't know. Ew! (laughs) Yeah! Certainly not when we're singing Gilbert and Sullivan songs. Oh, gosh. What is up with that? Mrs. Brand is useless. She does not need to be there. She's a school teacher who likes Gilbert and Sullivan. She also does not make the who's who paid. She has nothing to do with anything. But we get a scene at school with her. Why? Why? Oh, cut that out and have a flashback where Aloysius has a decent relationship with Simon's mom. (laughs) Yeah, really? Okay, Isol is old, is lying on the ground. She's so distraught. And she says the greatest line ever. She says, we might as well be practical, said the most impractical person in the episode. Let's be practical about finding the book that doesn't exist that will help us clear our mom of the demons that are tormenting her. There are fractures in the fractal plane. What? You just made that up. Halloween is the day when the veil is thinnest. What? (laughs) 
And why is she spread eagle on the ground? To show off her outfit. I guess so. All the gores in her skirt. You know, that's what they're called, right? The I wedges did, in a skirt like I, that, that. I did not know. Makes it full. That's called a gore. Uh, Aloysius study. I want to. I want to move into his library. Well, his whole house. His whole house is fantastic. Yep. We're go- when we go to England, we're going to Aloysius' house. We're staying there. Did you see the big green thing in the corner? No. Okay, it's at about t- twenty-eight minutes in. If you want to check it out, we'll put a f- photo in the notes. It's it's green. Yeah. It's about six feet tall, and it looks to be some kind of maybe Malaysian tribal thing. Oh, it has like a alligator face kind of on it. Oh no, I didn't see it's that. Huge. It's huge. Cool. Oh well, we'll put that in the show notes. It's interesting. There's also a uh, taxidermied armadillo on the wall in yeah, his library. Yeah, I did library. notice the uh, armadillo. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's just the shell of an armadillo. Yeah. On the wall. So I have a question about his house. Mm-hmm. In the entryway yep. is a life-size centaur. Yes. Would you ride that? Yes. Yeah. At least once. I'd have a little bit too much champagne at New Year's and get on it. Yeah. At least once. I, do you think they could keep Simon off that thing? <laughs> As a kid? As a kid? <laughs> Tell you who. I'm riding the man horse. Centaurs are problematic. Okay, now I'm creeped out and I'm getting off of it again. <laughs> Never mind. So the other thing about Anton and the school teacher, which is like total red herring land, is they're not having an affair. They just get together to sing Gilbert and Sullivan. But he can't let his wife find out. Why can he not let his wife find out? Because I don't think she would approve. Maybe she hates Gilbert and Sullivan. I, I don't understand. You just say, I really like singing with this woman. You know, you can come if you want. There's nothing going on. I'm going to go over and sing with her. Here's a recording of us singing. Because then it wouldn't be a red herring, Mark. Oh, okay. Then it wouldn't look suspicious. Do you know what they sing? The song was not familiar to me. What song is it? It's uh, a song. I don't know which song... Exactly. But it mentions John Wellington Wells. Is that Wellington Boots? No. It's from The Sorcerer, a two-act Gilbert and Sullivan uh, opera. Oh, that's not one I'm too familiar with. Which makes sense. Perfect sense. Except for they don't need to be there as characters at all. No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Did you understand? So there's there's a scene in the church where church isn't going on. Right. And Aloysius says that he is the charge of the fabric committee. Mm-hmm. What is the fabric committee? I never heard of It is the committee responsible for the fabric of the church, the physical building. I never of the heard church. it called that before. So it's like the building maintenance committee. Yeah. Well, he also owns the church. They deal with all of the material elements of the church. And what he has is a book of common prayer. He bought 50 new books of common prayer. Brand new ones, still in plastic. If you don't know, for our American listeners, you might not know this, the Anglican church really has a manual. Yes. It has two manuals. The book of common prayer. The book of common prayer and the hymn book, the hymnal. Right. We've talked about this. The hymns have numbers. and They put them up in the church so you know which ones you're supposed to sing. Yeah. Yeah. And so everybody sings the same one. Mm -hmm. Right. Nine in a church in Scotland is nine in a church in in Cornwall. And this all comes from the Reformation. The Reformation, the English Reformation, which is really the heart of this story that no one has talked about yet. Yes. Well, and they do mention Tinsdale. Yes. And he really did take on translating the Book of Common Prayer into English that average people could understand. 
So, and was then burned at the stake as a heretic for having done so. So this is 16th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tinsdale... Or is it 17th century? I think it's in the 1600s. I could be wrong. No, it's 1500s. Okay. 1530 is okay. when he does his book. Because he, he writes it. He doesn't print it. Okay. Because Gutenberg comes along 20 years later and starts printing stuff. Right. It all happens at the same time. Because the church is like... The church has two problem, two big problems at this point. It does everything in Latin and no one speaks Latin anymore. Mm-hmm. And second of all, they're printing tickets to heaven. Yeah. Indulgences. Sorry. They're writing tickets to heaven. Yeah. And... And so the rich people get to go to heaven and the poor people have to listen to Latin. Yes. (laughs) And sort of all over Europe at this time comes this idea that why don't we go to church and learn stuff in the language we talk? And that is a reason that is so revolutionary that people die. because Yeah. And Tinsdale is one of those people. Because he's translating the word of God after a, into average speech, and that's just blasphemous. After a Catholic monarch comes to power in England, he has to flee to Europe. Mm-hmm. Ah, Henry VIII will come along and shake it all up. At, at some point, Isode talks about books. Sold. You keep calling her Isode. I do. <laughs> I do. I sewed and her brother diod. Yeah, my dad sold a bunch of ritual knives over the internet. None of them are really important. <laughs> and that again, it's this is why the temple cannot be a secret because Ernest's business, Magic Meister. Okay. Because so, so this is serious stuff. Yeah. All, it should be all protected ma- by religious privilege. All major credit cards accepted. Yes. It's serious. Is a known business. So everybody would know he's into esoteric stuff at and that, least. That business is in New Jersey, right? Magic Meister. The magicmeister.com is a magician. I think he's in New Jersey. Yeah, magicmeister.com, which is a weird URL for uh website address for England. It should be .co.uk. Yeah. But it's .com. Yeah. So I did some Well, digs. the URL in the show is Magic Meister. Yes. The real one for the magician is the Magic Meister. He owns both. Oh, okay. If you type in Magic Meister, it goes there. It auto-forwards? It okay. auto-forwards. So, but we do see the Magic Meister website in the cop shop on a computer. We do. So this is the one you dug into. What did you find? Uh, that they were trying to create a website. There, There's the beginning parts of what uh, a web developer would recognize as the beginning parts of a website while they're do- filming this show. Would you go back in the Wayback Machine? Yeah, on the Wayback Machine. To check machine. the URL? Yeah. And then they just said, ah, all we really need is a graphic. Just yeah, make a picture and put it on that That's all they on did. that computer. I realize that I'm a square peg about something. I call my mother and father, mother and father. Hmm. And people th- see that as weird. Not as weird as calling them Ma and Pa. Yes. What is up with that? Isolde's just weird. But Tristan does it too. Pa. I don't know. I know a lot of people who have funny, very um, individualized names for their grandparents within their families, but yeah. I've, I don't know anybody who called their parents. And I know people from Kentucky and Tennessee and places like that where Ma and Pa might be more common. And I've never met anybody who called their parents Ma and Pa. <laughs> I tell you what, Ernest is no mom and pop <clears throat> Ernest is a pain in the butt. Oh my God, he is. Okay, let's just go over what we know he's done, okay? He introduced his fragile, mentally challenged wife. First wife. Yeah. To the Toth ritual. Yes. Which freaked her out. Yes. Okay. And pushed her over the edge. Once she was Dulali. He divorced her. Dumped her ass. Yep. Right? Divorced her. 
right? Put her in a asylum or something. I wonder, well, sorry, I'm, I forgot we're talking about England. I'm like, how did Tristan ever afford to go to law school? And then I realized yeah. it's England, yeah. right? <laughs> well, and Magic Meister's making a lot of money, you know. Well, selling those daggers. Yes. <laughs> And then he he physically assaults Aloysius, smashing into his car like that and leaving the scene mm-hmm. is a major crime. Yeah. Never mind that he's daily encouraging his daughter to, to use her sexual wiles to get what he wants. All of that. <laughs> You're like speechless. <laughs> And yet Tristan goes, no, he's going to be last to die. I don't have a problem with him being the finale, <sighs> if I was Tristan. I guess. Or maybe he's going around the compass, you know? He needs oh, to do it in maybe, order. Maybe. He could be doing that. He's, he's certainly crazy. Yeah. So Hugo gets drunk, and he comes home, and he goes through this little alleyway. I love this booby trap. Yeah. It's so subtle. It is. And so effective. But There's also a wire. Indiscriminate. Yeah. Because anybody could have gone down that alley and died the way he did. There could have been a pile of bodies. We'll get to a pile of bodies. It's a cord attached to a piece of wood that is on the other side of the walkway. Because when he trips it, the wood falls the, down. The wood falls down. And then there's just broken glass on the ground that has frog toxin on it. Smash into the frog goop toxin. <laughs> and then stumbles into his bookshop and then dies. And it's not exactly like this, but in my mind, is old. Spends the whole time five feet away from him going, what's going on? <laughs> what okay. are you doing? Nobody can see you doing that. What's no, no. going on? She's at home chanting, Hugo, die. Hugo, die. Hugo, die. No, she's in front of the shop when he dies. Oh, that's right. She is. She's five feet away from but him. But she thinks she's done it through her mystical chanting. Yeah, but still call triple nine. Like. Yeah, really. <laughs> she wants him dead. What do you mean? The postman found him. George comes in and says that he knows what it is, that it's Dendro Botidae. Botidae. Yes. She's the Latin for arrow frogs, toxic frogs, poison frogs, right? Do you know how their toxin works? No. I mean, you know they excrete it, right? Well, you take big rubber gloves and you tap on the window. (laughs) And that makes them secrete the the, They just shoot toxins. And then you scrape it off with a little plastic knife. Into a Is vial. It, isn't it a, a wooden thing? I thought it was like a, a popsicle stick. Yeah. I think it is one time, and the other time it's like a, a plastic paint knife, like a spatula. How does he transport that if it's so. He puts it in a vial. Because okay. then you see him scraping it out of the vial. It looks like Vaseline in the vial and smearing it on the blades uh, of the box. Okay. So wouldn't, the, si- wouldn't somebody notice Tristan setting up that trap? <laughs> Well, he sneaks in there when they're all at the pub after rehearsal. Is everyone in town at the pub? Oh, oh, you mean Hugo's trap? Yeah. I He hides in the alley. Nobody sees him. But, like, it's on a busy street. <laughs> My question is, is, did he, like, coat the whole beer bottle in toxin and then just drop it to break it? Or did he break it and then individually no, no. coat the glass? The real question is, it says Cartwright Books above the bookstore. Right? And those are wooden letters. No, it says Hugo's Antique Books. H- Hugo's Antique Books. Yes. They're actual wooden letters. Right. That's a lot of work to go through. Yeah. For a single episode. 
Well, to be fair, you can buy those letters already made. You just paint them and tack them up there with one nail. I suppose. And you're done. I so would imagine a prop house has... Every out, letter. Yeah, all those letters. Yeah, you're right. So the way you're these, right, right. Uh, these toxic frogs work... Have you ever heard of the, the term aposomatic? No. It's a new one for me, too. What's aposomatic? Aposomatic means that... Specifically, like if you're talking about an animal being aposomatic, it means they have coloring that is a warning. Okay. Something about their physicality is a warning to predators. Well, don't that eat makes me, sense. Right? Yeah. So these frogs are bright. We knew that already to warn off predators to say, don't eat me. I'm toxic. I'll kill you. Right? Yeah. But there is a debate oh. about how toxic frogs become toxic. On one side of the debate are scientists who believe that these frogs produce the the toxin themselves okay on the other side of the debate are the believers in the diet toxicity hypothesis okay and they think that these frogs eat insects that have slight levels of toxin and that they're able to sequester those toxins in their system and then exude them through their skin okay so they'll eat like a poisonous centipede and inside they kind of harvest the toxin and deposit it in their skin automatically do you have a side in this debate? I can't say that I'm ready to pick sides okay. on this diet toxicity hypothesis. Okay. I, I can see validity. Oh, I see validity in both sides for sure. They're alkalides. All the toxins are alkalides. Yeah. And so what alkalides do is they, long story short, is they basically mess up the transmission of the nerves in your body. They open the floodgates so they can't close, which basically means that nerve signals can't travel the way they're supposed to. So you become paralyzed and then of course it affects affects your um, pulmonary system so your heart has trouble you can't breathe and then you die okay it's not a pleasant death no is it as quick as they die here it depends on the dose okay so if you get a really high dose it happens really quickly but if you get a low dose it can happen over like 48 hours is that what's happening to jones because we haven't even got to the part where jones should be dead oh because he tackles yeah. Uh, Tristan? Yeah. But he doesn't get any cuts. Yeah. How does he not get cuts? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a really good screenshot of Tristan on the ground with a clearly plastic frog sitting on his neck Oh, that, on a cut. That frog on his neck. And then a real frog kind of gallops by, <laughs> right? Like, I'm a real frog, but I wouldn't sit in the blood, right? So Tell me, John real. Ellis, what did you think about filming this episode? It was great, except for that damn frog handler. Yes. <laughs> he was a bit better than the maggot handler from last week, but, <laughs> you know, those animal handlers are something else. I didn't know that's the way they worked. That's the way that toxin worked. Yeah. But now we know. Simon finds pages in the library, right? So he's found this book, and the book that he has found is called Theologia Moralis. Yes. It is real. This particular edition was written by Patrius Sporer in 1692, Ooh. Uh, the Theologia Moralis. It's a, I don't want to say it's a generic title, but it's a common kind of title. And then it would have a specialized subtitle. This one is Sacramentus. There are like 13 books in the series of these. They're basically books that give you instructions on how to deal with moral issues. Yes. All in Latin. So you would look up an issue and it would tell you. Okay. How to t- how to do it right? So he he's looking through this book. He finds these loose leaf handwritten pages, and then he finds that two pages have been glued together, and he can shimmy out a few pages that are secret. Yes, right, that have been hidden there by this monk. I have to think 
that scene where Simon opens up that book and finds those pages is shown to people who are learning how to be archivists and museum workers Mm -hmm. as torture. Yeah. This is how not to handle a rare book that is falling apart. Yes. Because I was almost at the point of screaming at it. (laughs) I can only imagine an actual rare book person who, if they realized it was an actual rare book, would be like they would build a time machine and go back in time and stop the filming. Yeah. And just slap his hands because he spreads the book open wide, flat. Then smooths the pages in opposing ways, like how when not to maintain the binding the of an pages, old book. I'm like, oh my god, stop! He needs one of those little book pillows. And you know? then, then he gets out a machete or yes. what feels like a machete, and just starts hacking at that page. Really, Lucy Worsley should just materialize. Oh. And go, no. <laughs> okay, we love. Lucy Worsley. <laughs> she is fantastic, but she should have appeared in yes, this book. No, don't do that. That's bad. So the pages he's, he finds are from the Gospel of Saint, S-A-Y-N-C-T. Basically, they're supposed to be a lost gospel. Yes. Of some saint. Okay. So the idea is that these are original handwritten pages of the first English Bible. Mm -hmm. And it's a book that we have lost. A book that we've lost since. It's almost Dead Sea Scrolls kind of level stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like a chapter of the Bible that we don't know about. Yeah. This is a long time after Nicaea and stuff like that. But there's still weird books floating around. Yeah. There were alternative versions of the Bible. It was the Dark Ages. It was dark. And so he finds these. So this is what he finds instead of the Book of Thoth. Yes. Which Isolde is dying for him to find. Because it doesn't exist. So Hugo should have been happy with this because these pages are worth way more than 13 grand. Way more than 13 grand. <laughs> but Isolde is if, like, these are crap. This isn't what I wanted. If, if Hugo had been alive, he would have he would have gone to the bathroom. In his pants. Pooped. Yes. He would have. Have seen. Because he would have understood. The value. The of value. Of these yeah. Because. Like Aloysius immediately does. Oh, yeah. And Aloysius is a religious man. So to him, these are very important. Wait they're a not minute. just valuable, Let's have church. they're important. <laughs> now, church, now. Maybe he has a button. Like he lifts up instead of Shakespeare's head to get to the back cave. Yeah. He has, like, I don't know. Uh, Martin Luther. T- no, Tinsdale. Tinsdale's, Tinsdale's head. head. And then he pushes a button, and suddenly the priest appears in the church. Puts out the priest. The, not the priest. The, the, the church signal. The church guy. <laughs> the minister, the rector, whatever he is. Oh, uh, but Tristan has some other plans. Aloysius is sitting in his study. There are pebbles on the glass. I think it's his old looking for Simon again. Yep. Gosh, she's annoying. She's always showing up. But no, it's Tristan outside. Okay. With a broken, he leaves a broken axe on the path. But then what does he actually kill him with? Another axe. Another axe in the back. Okay. This is the point where I'm into this story because I'm like, Simon and Aloysius run this giant house by themselves. Yeah. They don't have any help. There's no staff. No, it's just the two of them. (laughs) Every time you don't see one of them on screen, they're dusting. 
somewhere else. That's what Somebody's got to cook all the food. All they do is dust and clean all the time. So what we eventually find out is that Tristan knows who was present when his mother, Rosemary, was in, was introduced to the Temple of Thoth. And it's a compass, right? So it was Jean, who was the first to die in the cabinet. Then um, Aloysius with an axe. Yep. Hugo with an arrow, because he yes, gets the broken arrow the in the mailing tube. And then Ernest would have been the last one with the sword. Yes. And Rosemary would have been in the middle. So yes. it's not Estelle to the east, it's Ernest. It's Ernest to the east. And when Tom figures that out, they know, okay, Ernest is the next target. Did you notice that Isold walks Isold walks up to a crime scene, looks around in it, and then runs away? Yes. <laughs> and no... Like, dude with a stick or a constable is like, wait a minute. Back up, crazy. <laughs> Don't enter my crime scene. He was struck down because he found the book. Yes. Okay. So two things happened at this point, which are bonkers. One, there is messages written on sausages. Yes. Anton gives him a, gives Tom a secret message. I thought, oh, he he's made him like a, a bacon bat. And put a note Something. in it. But no, it's raw sausages. And a package that grows and shrinks. Yeah. Well, there must be a note in it because then Tom knows where to meet him so they can talk. Yeah. But we don't see the note. It's weird. If we do, I blinked. It's all red herring. Yeah. Because Anton doesn't know anything. And second of all, we enter the reality of Isolde's jazzy bike ride. Well, don't forget, we get to see her 12-year-old girl room, too. Oh, yeah. She's a f- fan of Fleetwood Mac, if she, you hadn't guessed. She might. Be a fan of Fleetwood. She's got a Fleetwood Mac poster no, on her no, wall. But, uh, she's a fan of what's her name? Stevie Nicks. Oh yeah, she she is definitely a Stevie Nicks. Fan. Yes, <laughs> she's got the the fangirl kit with all the necklaces and yeah. the scarves and the lacy stuff. Yeah, but she goes on a bike ride that has the weirdest, most incongruent music ever on a midsummer episode. I expected it to be the Wicked Witch of the West bicycle music. The dun 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 But instead it's like, hey, you know, it's like jazzy and bluesy. It's not And then Tom almost runs her over. She just keeps going. It's not the theme. No. Because sometimes they do that, right? Some version of the midsummer theme that they play at different versions, right? No, no. It's none of that. It's Isolde's theme. Isolde's jazzy bike ride theme. And when Tom almost hits her, she doesn't even look back. She just keeps going. I was kind of surprised she was riding a bike. Yeah. Because I get the impression that the Balioles have money. Wouldn't she have a car? I... A broom? I got to think that she doesn't. She... I can't learn how to drive. Oh, she rejects learning to drive a car. It upsets me too much. It it fractals the fracture of the yes. universe to, to drive a car. Okay, I can buy that. She attacks Simon. She, throws... calls, she calls him a slug. Okay. She's so self-centered. She's like, damn you, you're a bad person because you didn't do exactly what I wanted. Even though I have absolutely no claim on anything in this house, I want it. And so you should find it and give it to me. And you're a slug because I didn't do it. And because you, you didn't do didn't it. find the thing that doesn't exist, I'm angry with you. And so I will destroy this nice thing that you did find that you're excited about and then beat you with something. What's she hitting him with? Uh, a poker. A poker. She's beating Simon she with a poker. She attempts murder on Simon. Yeah. If they hadn't come in, I don't know where she would have stopped. Isolde should they be going her. up the river. And to- then she's like, I killed Hugo too. 
And they're like, okay, we got her, guys. Yeah, I cast a spell. I think it killed him. They're like, oh, man, come on. There's no forensics because she did it with her mind. (laughs) Meanwhile, in the background, Christine is like, Tristan, I love you. You don't love me. I guess I'll go be in the scampy movie instead. I love you, Tristan. She's lucky he doesn't love her back. Did did you notice? By the end of the episode, she's thinking, boy, did I dodge a bullet there. She dodges a bullet. Did you notice that? Isold in when she's being interrogated does not blink the entire time. Oh, ever. Ever, ever. That would break the spell of her eyeliner. And in the end, at the infamous Halloween part, yep. we find out that though Tom has told Joyce what he knows about Aloysius and Lucy being the parents of Simon, he has no intention of telling anybody. No. So Simon is never going to know that. No. Do you agree with that? I would think, because I like Aloysius, that he would be honest with Simon in his will. Really? Yeah. Mm. That's not the kind of thing you put in a legal document. But I'm I slept leaving with my sister. I'm leaving everything because you're actually my son. I think being his nephew is more than enough reason to leave everything to him. He doesn't have any kids of his own. I guess. Except Simon, actually. But Did being in the jungle make Isold crazy? <laughs> yeah. Because she went to South America all by herself as a child, apparently. I can't imagine Ernie <laughs> being in the jungle. That's what I called him in my notes, Ernest. I called him Ernie the whole time. It's me and my familiar. Well, apparently she and Tristan just had to go to South America as kids to magically know everything about poison frogs. It's what you get. Like, we've been to Brazil. We got the magic frog thing on the airplane. Yeah, just being there. Yeah. You suddenly know that. Enough that now... Tristan can import them somehow without anybody being suspicious that he has a tank of poisonous frogs? Yeah. While we've been recording this, it came to me that we should have figured out if you can import poisonous dart frogs. I'm I'm sure you can't. You cannot, unless you have like a research license. Yeah. Because they have done experiments with their toxins for medical uses. Well, they're Most weapons. of them have been dismissed because they, the line between a therapeutic dose and a deadly dose is too fine yeah. for them to be useful. But I could not find any place, because I did look, I could not find any place where you could legitimately get a poisonous frog as a pet. Not poison- they're too dangerous. Poisonousdartfrogs.com? Protected. And you can't get them on Amazon? They're protected species. Yeah. Never mind, if you ascribe to the diet toxicity hypothesis, if you keep a poisonous frog in a tank and it's you don't feed him the right things, he won't anymore. be poisonous anymore. Right? Okay, so Ernie goes over to see Tristan, because I think Ernie figures it out at this point. Yeah. Okay? And whammo. He gets the hit. He gets shoveled to the head. Shoveled to the head, right? And so Tristan is in full killer mode at yes. this point. <laughs> and he calls them demons and he's gonna use a frog to kill his father Mm -hmm. and barnaby comes in and basically motions to jones to tackle him tackle him there is no way that jones tackles somebody onto an aquarium made of sugar glass that breaks up while they're holding frogs that if they touch you can kill you yeah wouldn't they say put it down with Tristan. gloves that he already had frog goop on. Yes. All he had to do was poke Jones in the eye and he'd basically be dead. Yeah. Stick it stick your finger in his mouth. Yeah. Would probably kill him. Which of it's course a dangerous tackle. Leads me least. to the problem of inciting incident here. There is no inciting incident. So why does Tristan become a killer now? Yeah. The inciting incident is that he has tried 
to take care of his mom in his home instead of her being in the asylum and it's not working and he's going to have to send her back because they can't and that take makes care him of her. so upset yeah but he says he's done that before yeah but i think this is he knows now this is the last the last try mom's so. going back for good now. yeah she's going back for good and these people are responsible for her being in that state and that snaps him i buy that i'm convinced by that okay he's seen her up close did you notice that the kids at the barnaby's Christmas party of the same Halloween party. Halloween party of the same kids that were at the magic show. Even though they live in Coston. Yes. It's the traveling Halloween kids. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Well. Are you ready for best corpse? Best corpse. <laughs> nice corpse. We have Gene, Hugo, and Aloysius to choose from. Gene is the best dressed corpse. I got to tell you. Yeah. She's got that little outfit on. She's got the magician's assistant outfit on. Yep. And she dies on stage in front of a bunch of kids. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't really see her. No. No. Hugo falling down and being all cut up and upset and drunk. And, but again, that's death. It's not, it's not his corpse that's I great. I see it's his him death process. as the most realistic death. Yeah. And then Hugo, we don't hardly see at all. And I guess you could put Tristan in that list too, since he dies. But he's got plastic frogs all over. And he says, I hardly see the point. The word point, I think, is his last word. Point. <laughs> Ribbit. <laughs> After oh. the credits, Simon inherits everything and he's fine. Christine's dodged a bullet. Okay, Simon gets Ernest the big house. quits the temple. Okay, first of all, Simon wins in two ways. One, he gets the house and all that stuff, and he gets the Bible pages. Okay, so he's set for life. Yep. He also gets the magic plastic covers on the Bible pages that save them from fire. They're fireproof. And so he sells sleeves. he sells those to people too. True. Yeah. yeah. So and Isolde won't be coming around anymore. So he's one there too. I gotta think Isolde is at least gonna get some. Uh, form for wasting police time. I think she may end up in the loony bin getting some help because, yeah. but you know, we've seen her at the temple uh, ritual where Ernest throws his cape in the fire. Yeah. She's all in her and Estelle are there all in for the, yeah. the ritual. So I don't know. Um, I guess Rosemary just goes back to where she was. Yep. The home where she was. Yep. Will Anton reveal his love of Gilbert and Sullivan to his wife or keep it a secret? I don't know and I don't care. Will Mrs. Brand be revealed as not just a school teacher, but as a lover of Gilbert and Sullivan? I don't know. Even the Mikado in all of its racist ways. I don't care. <laughs> Poor Derek Wilding. The rector's going to have a lot less work to do now. Because with Aloysius not gone, be on call he won't have to have church four nope. times a day. No. Nope. Derek... Gets the short end of the stick. Yeah, it's sad. He has to tell two kids that their grandmother's dead. And take care of them until their mom can come back from the U.S. Yeah. That's just all kinds of sad. It's very sad. Er Ernie and Estelle, it doesn't work out, I don't think. I don't know. She's there for the ceremony. I guess. But once he rejects the, the temple, I think she'll reject it too. She'll say, this is stupid. We shouldn't do this anymore. Yeah. I'll say, yeah, let's not do stuff. It is. So that's the end of The Magician's Nephew. It is indeed. Our next episode is... Days of Misrule. What's that one about? It's the one with... It's all... It's no bonkers, none of the time. So it's about trucking companies and haulage and smuggling. Oh, it's a logistics episode. It's a logistics episode. (laughs) And and then there's team building exercises because the whole... 
inland oh, land army. Oh, yes, yes. Ter- the territorial army yes. stuff. Yes. Yep. It's still fun. It's a good episode. It's not wackadoodle like this one. No. But it's good. It's Tom resisting authority. Yes. And getting messy. Looking like an old guy. He totally doesn't like getting messy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So until next week, maniacs. First of all, thank you again for all of you who purchased anything of our swag. Absolutely. We're so excited to donate that money. Second of all, if you haven't picked up a swag, you might want to lay some hints around the house for your loved ones to buy some for you for Christmas or exactly. whatever you celebrate. Exactly. Um, you know, if they're not maniacs, they may not know. Yes. And you could just leave little pictures of um, Brian Clapper sweat soup around the house to just, you know, hint, hint. So this week I had to explain that the, my game group who doesn't listen to the podcast or doesn't watch Midsummer Murders. Mm-hmm. Um wanted to look at our swag Mm -hmm. and one of them said what is this brian clapper sweat soup (laughs) thing so try to explain that to a person who has no idea about midsummer has never seen midsummer uh, doesn't know who brian clapper is yeah yeah that was you know what that's why we're maniacs yeah because we get it yes those people don't and we got people all over the world including people who live Near the Thames and people who live in Tim. Tame. Tame. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. And, you know, buy some more. And if there's a product that you want, like if we didn't put one of the um, designs designs on something that you'd like to have, just let us know and we'll make sure that it gets added to the store. It's very easy to do. Yep, absolutely. And uh, keep going. We're going to hit our goal. I know we are, which, you know, it's, it's always... It always amazes me the response that we get from you guys. You're always fantastic. Absolutely great. Yep. And I, I, at least once a week, somebody says, I can't believe I found this podcast. Or, You're my favorite podcast or all this stuff. And wow. Like, because we listen to a lot of podcasts for somebody to say that about us is so incredible. You can find us on all the social medias, the Twitters, the Facebooks, the Reddits, all of those things, plus Midsummer Murders. Midsummermaniacs at gmail.com if you want to drop us a line. If you are receiving merch, please send us pictures. Yes. And let us know if the whole process is great because we we need to evaluate that too. And yeah, if, if the if, vendor if you know isn't is great, good. then we want to yeah. know. But I from what I, we've I seen so far, it. they make good stuff. Yeah. So get awesome. your Socko Fox toe. We want to see pictures of you wearing your maniac gear. Yep. Or walking around tame. <laughs> In your Brian Clapper sweatsuit shirt. <laughs> yep. With everybody looking at you weird. Yep. All right. Until next time. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Do you know what that one's about? Why would you ask me that just so I can sound stupid? Edit that. Okay.